Hiya, and welcome to another edition of The Jewel Case. It's Tuesday night at 8pm, and you might be listening on Lisburn's 98FM, or alternatively, you could be listening on Bangor FM, or on FM 105 in Downpatrick. Or you could be listening on the TuneIn app, streaming. You could be listening on my podcast after so many avenues to listen. You could be in a different country entirely. Hey, who's this joining me tonight? (laughs) It's the wonderful Emily Dudekis from Accidental Theatre. Hi, Emily. Hi, how's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for inviting me into your office. We're actually recording the dual case tonight in the Accidental Theatre office, which is a lovely open space in the city centre of Belfast. They have rehearsal rooms, they have staging areas, they have relaxation zones. (laughs) I just made that one up. Uh, They have office space for writers and and theatre people and they have a trampoline in the corner which we might use later yeah um, there's a the, trampoline there's a bar there's a bar here too but I'll not get too excited we actually decided to set this interview up because you listened to one of my uh, episodes of the Jewel Case previously and you had a suggestion for a theme so this is the first user prompted suggested theme wow I'm famous for user suggested prompts <laughs> actually <laughs> Really? One of the theatre projects that Accidental does was originally a user-suggested prompt at Queen's back in the day. Which <laughs> Oh, wow. So this is, a, this is like immersive radio. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've just lured you into one of my uh, best habits. So your suggestion was, now, let, let me get this right. Yeah, just to, yeah, what I, I tweeted at you thinking, this will be blatantly obvious. It will be like what everyone does in their sleep already. There are like parties where people do this and talk about this and it's... Well, I'd never heard of this sensation before or is it a sensation or what is it? I would relate it to schadenfreude or nostalgia. Yeah. Oh, wow. What was that word? Schadenfreude. Can you explain that for our listeners who haven't schadenfreude before? Oh, man. Schadenfreude is great. You should do it. It's a, That's a verb, I suppose. Um, it's the taking pleasure... <laughs> Um, to schadenfreude. <laughs> no, schadenfreude is the, the German expression that means taking pleasure in somebody else's pain. Ah. So, you know, like when someone you're disinterested in winning loses something, you love it. Oh, lots of people in Northern Ireland do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the capital of schadenfreude. <laughs> okay, so I've got the tweet that you originally tweeted me. You said, I love the jewel case. Um, no but lie. instead of saying love, you actually did a Chevron three for a heart. So uh, less kudos, than three. To, kudos less to you for using less characters on Twitter. Um, and your theme that you suggested was bands you associate with places other than their origin due to where you bought slash heard CD or who gave it to you. Wow, loads to unpack there. So you, what you really mean is like, OK, so you know that... Um, Snow Patrol are from Bangor in Scotland, but actually you heard them on a road trip in Tunisia, so you you sort of have this feeling that they're from there. Yes, exactly. And I think I just replied, what? <laughs> yeah, that I was a pro- which is really not that many characters, which was well done on your part. <laughs> well, I've, I've never had that uh, little, really? little sort of thought... Thought um, I've never had that little germ of an idea before. Wow. So, so you actually, in in response to me saying <laughs> "wah," prepared a whole list of bands. And so tonight, we've got an R. So we're going to go through your list and sort of <laughs> ha- have a think about 
all, all these places where you think you've transposed bands and their origins mm. too. And actually, it's sort of, there are times, especially certain songs, like if, especially if it's the kind of the seminal song that I heard and that is the song of that band. Um, when I listen to that song, I, can, I kind of picture the band being in that place, maybe playing the song, maybe Just eating out. popcorn, you know, like they're ju- but that's where they are. Basically, wow. and is it really visually, or is it sonically, or it's like cinematic in your head? I'd say it's cinematic. It's actually really visual. Wow. Yeah, it's not like it's not creepy. It's sometimes a. <laughs> oh, because I don't of the have like detailed. So creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have like detailed fantasies. It's just more of a kind of a general, um, a kind of picture, a shot that I have in my head, I suppose. So the first one on the list is that you say the Beatles are from suburban Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States of America. This is the truth. Please explain. Well, when I was about 14, um, I'm from suburban Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up there. Um, I wasn't born there. Uh, I'm very complicated for Irish people to understand because I have not lived in the place of my birth for 32 years. <laughs> and I'm 34. Um but I moved a lot. Um, and when I was about 14, I was living in Atlanta and outside of Atlanta and, uh, the Beatles anthology happened to all of us in the world. Um, and I got super into them very quickly because I realized that my parents were super big Beatles fans and therefore I had somehow in utero learned all of their lyrics, um, which was a little bit creepy. Um, but I got into it quite quickly. And I've come to almost exclusively associate the Beatles with my teenage bedroom. And is, is that also because people from Atlanta sound like they're from Liverpool? Or? Not really. <laughs> really not. This is, this is a real <laughs> weird conference of things because um, Atlanta's really big in the hip-hop scene oh, yeah, yeah. in the States. Like yeah. a, a major groundswell of hip-hop, like Ludacris and all in Atlanta. I do associate you know, outcast with Atlanta. Also, yeah. I do associate CeeLo Green with Atlanta. So I do, I, I get it right sometimes as well. <laughs> <laughs> and Wild Honey Pie is a tr- tune that you've sort of singled out here. Yeah, that's a crazy song. We used to, um, the first time I heard it, I was driving. Um, actually, my mate was driving um, her, uh, her gray, she had a gray Volvo. And she was driving down this um, road called Little Willio Road. And it was really windy and she kept like winding and like scooting back and forth over the center line um, while we were listening. If you listen to Wild Honey Pie, like that's what you would do. Yeah. Naturally, you would be like, I need to not be in the correct lane of traffic right now. And so we would like swerve in and out of the lanes while we listened to Wild Honey Pie. Wow. So maybe we'll we'll have a listen to a tiny bit of this and the (laughs) listener can imagine us swerving back and forth across the country lane. Don't do anything logical while you listen to this song. Please, if you're driving while you hear this, <laughs> don't do not do swear. Don't do it. We were like 15. <laughs> Wow, so the Beatles are from Atlanta, Georgia, after all. Completely. <laughs> I cannot believe people doubt these things. And like when you're in the car, is John in the, the passenger seat as well? I never got that specific with it. <laughs> but now you're pointing out all the, the holes in my opportunities that I'm... 
So what 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 else? Well, give us some more um, some more examples of this phenomena. Okay, phenomenon. so personal musical origins. Uh, another one is soul coughing. Uh, they're kind of a. I have no idea how to describe them. Let's call them late nineties. Uh, like an indie of, rock band. No, they're sort of somewhere between white boy hip hop and grunge, like rhythmic grunge. I don't know how wow. to. You it, will. You new will metal. listen. You <laughs> what? New metal. Plausibly, you, when you you'll listen to them and go, oh, okay, that's what that is. But they're a fascinating band, and they're from Starbucks. They're from a little Starbucks um, on. On the road uh, leading from Marietta to Atlanta, just by the river. Um, okay. I, I worked there, and a girl I worked with there uh, introduced me to the song Down to This, which includes the amazing phrase, you get the ankles and I'll get the wrists. <laughs> I was in love immediately. <laughs> and all the all the customers were kind of going, yeah. So we're taking, a, we're taking a time machine back to that Starbucks right now. 100%. Um, to experience soul coughing <laughs> like you did the first time. Yep. Oh, like a steer to Chicago. But to the hooks of the Chicago man. And I said, well, you get the ankles and I'll get the wrist. You get the ankles and I'll get the wrist. You get the ankles and I'll get the wrist. You come down to this side. You get the ankles and I'll get the so is that um, is that one of the bands you were into when you were really young? Did you get really far into these? Yeah, yeah, actually. So so coughing wrote um, the my number one love song of all time, which is called Janine. Oh wow, beautiful Janine! I drink you up if you were the Baltic Sea and I were a cup. Get that tattooed on your arm. <laughs> it is. No, I'm just <laughs> now I'm flicking through your list here, and one of the ones that stands out to me is that the Strokes are from a playground at the south end of the Meadows in Edinburgh. Yes, they very, very much are. And this is probably, this is the origin of the personal musical origins for me, actually, because um, I moved to Edinburgh just before their um, their first album came out. Their first album was Is This It, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, because I was thinking, it? is it? Is this it? Was it it? It is. <laughs> it was. They... So it came out, one of my, my mates was in uh, New York and she heard them, sent me a tape. Um, and so I listened to the tape for the first time. I was walking home and I decided to stop at the playground and I sat on the swings and I listened to this and I, it was so clear. It just, so they, I don't know, they just felt like they belonged there. So I decided. So the strokes are there, Jay and Casablanca to sit beside you on the swing set there. <laughs> Last night specifically. Actually, the, the reason this sticks out to me is that now I, I am sort of empathizing with this phenomenon you're talking about because to you. I really associate listening to those first two Strokes albums together on a holiday, like a family holiday that I was on. And when I hear them now, I feel like the warm sun 
on my skin. Wow. So it's it's not so much like the maybe the place or that the band are sort of visually there, but I, I get a real intense uh, sort of memory of that sensation of warmth and clarity nice. when I listen to that those two first strokes albums because of when I first really got into them and listened to them on repeat on that holiday. Yeah. Do you also listen to the strokes when you feel like vitamin D deficient? No, no, it doesn't work like that. That would be epic. <laughs> that would actually be sort of the sonic equivalent of, you know, the way when you eat sweeteners, your body actually thinks it's taking sugar sort of and then reacts <gasps> weirdly. So if I listened to the strokes and was thinking I was getting vitamin D, it probably would give me a weird adverse reaction. Somebody needs to do a test on you big time. Yeah, I think we need to get Queen's University <laughs> um, biology, met, metabiology department in. Excellent. So here, we'll, we'll take a break from your list here because, I mean, there's so much to get through. <laughs> But in case anyone's wondering what you do, you're you're a a theatre director type uh, dramaturg. I'm a dramaturg, yeah. You're a dramaturg with Accidental Theatre. So explain to our listeners at home what a dramaturg is in case they don't know. Okay, I'm the dramaturg and producer for Accidental Theatre and we do new writing theatre in a number of different forms. And dramaturg works slightly differently depending on what form of theater you're working in or what state, um, what stage of the process it is. So sometimes I would be a kind of literary manager and choose scripts, give people feedback on scripts. Um, uh, then I, I might work on script development. So I'd work really closely with a writer on, uh, clarifying their ideas and helping them, uh, move toward a finished product with them. Or I might actually work um, with a writer and a full creative team and help transition a piece from the script to a production, Um, kind of helping preserve the meaning between things, making sure that things are coming across clearly, understanding how different decisions affect the Mm. um, the story that's being told. Um, Basically, dramaturgy is the the elements of stagecraft. It's how you create meaning on stage. In performance, so every performance has dramaturgy, but not every performance has a dramaturg who is like uh, specifically watching, uh, watching after that aspect and thinking about all those decisions that go into what the audience takes in as a whole. Yes, yeah, yeah. It can be something tiny, like an actor has to be. You know, it can be almost a continuity thing. You know, an actor needs to be wearing the same. You know, if you're messing with chronology and someone gets the wrong costume on at a certain point, it throws the whole thing off. Mm-hmm. Or um, Say if you're designing lights and uh, Hannah Sletney from Tinderbox has a great example about, you know, the difference between a god light and a dawn light, you know, and the difference of that is massive. If you have a god light and you suddenly have all these religious overtones to something that you wanted to just be really neutral and natural, totally different kind of thing. So you're looking at costuming. You could be looking at music or just the attitude that an actor says something with even. So there's a lot of different... And there's so much meaning that all these little things carry in theatre. Yeah. Um, like like the light that might uh, insinuate heaven or just the dawn. Um, it's all a semiotics of things moving about. And then we're, depending on the context of the audience and their previous experiences, then mm. they're interpreting things in possibly a wildly different amount of ways. Yeah, and actually that's... that's um a lot of the time, uh, the role a dramaturg would take is that kind of you're half sitting in the audience and thinking, I've never 
I'm coming to this completely fresh. How am I going to interpret it? What am I coming in with? As opposed to the creative team who then just get to totally dive in and immerse themselves completely mm-hmm. in this world that we're making and we need to understand it inside and out. And so you need to have a foot in that and understand what all the intentions were and all of the various decisions and complex uh, crazy aspects that are coming from all directions when you're making a piece of theater and then kind of step outside that slightly and, and help to have a clean view for the audience. And there's so many people involved in the theater making process and filmmaking as oh, yeah. well that it must be quite hard to have that overall view. I mean, that's the role of the director and the dramaturg and the producer and oh, everything. Yeah. But um it must really be hard to have that fresh perspective of an audience member who's coming completely new to a piece that everyone's worked months and months on. Mm, completely. You do get that kind of cabin fever, surreal. <laughs> you, yeah, you don't see the world quite the same way when you're in the middle of uh, rehearsals for a production. Everything is kind of, you're constantly trying to pull things and, you know, bring things together that you can it's like oh is this relevant no no it's not <laughs> well you're in the middle of that cabin fever right now Man, we're, be- we're sitting in my cabin <laughs> we're in the cabin <laughs> do you have a fever yet you actually have uh, a play coming up really yeah, soon it's next- starting on march 14th uh, in Belfast in riddles warehouse and the play is called gordon osram's funeral it is yeah what is it about gordon osram's funeral so it's about um a world-famous performance artist, Gordon Osram. Um, he is, uh, this artist is from Belfast originally, uh, but has lived all over the world, worked everywhere from, you know, St. Petersburg to Tokyo to Tierra del Fuego. Um, has had a massively varied career and has disappeared for the past five years. And uh, suddenly resurfaces and announces that there's going to be this massive retrospective exhibition Um in in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, um, there's going to be one in Dublin as well, um, where there's going to be, he's, he's going to make one final last great work of art, essentially. And he wants all the people who come to the gallery to be part of it. So, yeah, it's an immersive play. So it happens, uh, essentially, you come and it's a, you come to the gallery um, and you experience... Uh, you learn about Gordon through all the exhibits that are all there. Some of them are interactive, Um and then there's, you know, there's a few characters there. Um, a couple of them pop up and uh, one of them's there to kind of guide you through the experience. Um, oh, wow. So the audience members are actually turning up to his final performance. Yeah, it's ju- it's a gallery. You come to the oh, gallery wow. and the story kind of happens around you. For the nervous Northern Irish audience members amongst us who probably don't want people touching them. <laughs> I just want to sit down and watch a piece of theatre. They're not going to get wet or anything. How immersive is this? Um, (laughs) You will not be put in a dunk tank or a pie throw. Totally no. We had considered a pie throw, but it's out, so don't worry. Um, You have a lot of control over how involved you get. There are times when... um, you're invited to be involved. People can get very involved. Actually, we've been kind of pleasantly surprised. We started doing immersive theater last year when we did the Lost Martini um, here in our what's now our office, um, and we were we were doing it with the knowledge that um, nervous Northern Irish theaters theater goers do exist, um, and we just wanted to have fun with that and see what people were up for. Um, we know it's not it's not a typical play, but I think that's we get quite excited about having a chance to do something quite different. So you will, 
you can get as involved as you want to. You will not be forced to do anything. There are different parts of the performance um, where you can just wander and look at things in your own time. There are parts that are much more classic, like a play, just watching a story unfold in front of you um, that other people are totally taking the reins on. And then there are times when you can interact with the characters. Um, And also, I think we also found out with The Lost Martini, people... It's a social situation. It's a social experiment. And sometimes you can surprise yourself, I think. Um, I know somebody turned up to the last martini and was like, totally not feeling this. Cannot be bothered tonight. And I was like, that's fine. And she said, I'm not actually just going to go do the dishes you know, cause we had a running, we had, a, we were having a, a live bar. There was a working bar. And so I was like, that's grand. Just go do the dishes. And so while she was doing the dishes, there was a scene that actually happened in the kitchen. So she kind of got involved in that scene. And then through <laughs> that got pulled out into the hallway and was like talking to people. And by the end she was dancing, you know, and running about. So it just really, there's no pressure to be one way or the other, but I would just say, be aware of what it is and be open. For sure. And actually... Immersive theatre is fascinating. It's, it's Yeah, I mean, I've been to some really interesting work over the past while. And actually, what's interesting about this is that it's sort of a bit of a confluence between what's happening in immersive theatre and what's happening in this sort of revitalization of the conceptual art world and performance art. Uh, so we have Fluxus Art and Happenings and all, which is... Like Alan Caprow was a theatre person yeah. making conceptual art. We don't really need to put the labels on, but we do anyway. No, but it, I mean, it all goes back to surrealism and Dada and yeah. those. Yeah, exactly. Um, but because we've had like major retrospectives of Marina Abramovich mm-hmm. um, in New York, but also her big work in the Serpentine in London that I actually was at. So I'm sort of right. thinking of that now when I'm thinking of your participative performance art work within a theatre work. Yeah. Um, and Marina's uh, work in London was definitely like a, a sort of theatre work within a performance art context or mm. maybe it was all the contexts merged into one. Mm. Um, so is is that sort of an influence on the writing behind this, Marina Bromovich and Ule? And definitely, yeah. We kind of we watched um, we watched the documentary, but we were already quite fascinated with the. It was very much about the personalities behind the art. It began as sure. a it's a stage play originally by Dave Kingan, who has also written the script for this immersive version, and it was always about the the you know the jealousies and the. Uh, the conflicts and just the absurdity um, of the of these he created these really um, broad kind of uh, wild personalities that collide um, and there's still elements of that it's kind of an interesting tightrope between totally off the wall and absurd and really quite um, I mean it's definitely not realistic I would say <laughs> but at the same time it's quite um, Recognizable. The people are quite recognizable in some ways. We say it's not realistic. Is there a touch of the magic realism in it? Because hmm. I had a guest last week who I believe you're familiar with, Jan Carson. I know, yeah, and the the, uh, the mother of magical realism in Northern Ireland. She loves magic realism. She does. Um, and in her in her fiction writing and her short stories, mm. and I guess a lot of um, immersive theatre plays on that as well. Sort of 
magic realism or even just hyper realism, like things that are a little bit surreal in the everyday. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, <laughs> what you start to realize actually, actually our immersive productions are quite different from say Punch Drunk. Have you been to one yeah. of their shows? I haven't actually, but um, I know a lot of people who have and they're very um, well healed, I suppose you could say. <laughs> very well kind of, Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The production value is what kind of is, is able to create the magic and the physical environment. Mm -hmm. So I think we, I think ours is much more person to person, uh, using kind of everyday language. There's, there's more of the social interaction kind of thing okay. rather than the kind of like phantasmagoria kind of aspects that I think you get with those. But at the same time, I think there's, there's definitely a heightened, sense. I don't think people are going to walk away thinking, wow, that's what accidental theater and Dave King and think the world is like. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the suspension of disbelief or the suspension of belief in what's happening in front of you is a real event or yes. which I guess what Punch Drunk are trying to do in certain ways. Um, you know what I sort of equate it to? Like, like professional wrestling. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, which is, you know, theater and yeah. sporting and um, yeah. goes back, I guess, thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, this whole tradition of... <laughs> back to my people, the Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I wonder if the Dodecas family were wrestlers and they no. <laughs> and I think... I think there there probably is a lot of you know crossover between um, you know the oiled up professional wrestlers with their yeah. theme music and their storylines <laughs> and it's live acting yeah. and improvised Absolutely. live acting. It's probably the hardest job in the world because then you get punched and then you've got a concussion and you still have to do it. Um, and there's a crossover between that and immersive theater. Yeah, it's that kind of um, group consensus to yeah. immerse and to believe and to co exist in a space that you're kind of and and also I think what I love is that people people get into the spirit of it but they also they do different things with it people so your audience you give your audience license to surprise you as well which is super dangerous but really intoxicating yeah actually because you start to get tight group. yeah it's fa it's fascinating I mean literally sitting here right now no idea what will be happening next week um how people, what people are going to come to, come to it with. But I think also what you were saying about the intersection between performance art and theater is we've struggled a lot with that is actually really just having to say, we are not performance artists. We make theater. We think, and we come from a very, you know, theatrical, that theatrical background, which is, you know, the difference between is like, you know, it's authenticity versus theatricality. It's, you know, the performance artist's use blood you know they're actually bleeding whereas you know theater is you know ketchup it's that kind of like or so they're using ketchup in a sort of meta ironic way well to yeah speak exactly. about theater not <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, exactly well, but it's that you know if you're actually it's doing versus you know representing is that the difference between performance art and theater for yeah. you as far as you define it then yeah definitely it's sort of like um i mean there is there there's still um We've talked quite a lot to Amanda Coogan, who's a performance artist, Dublin performance sure, artist yeah. based here now. Um, and yeah, just talking about the way um, performance artists uh, approach designing and the sort of storytelling behind their stuff. But it's very much that kind of single vision. Um, and, the, you know, the designer is the director, is the performer, is the costumer a lot of times. Um, but it's it's very her work in particular is that you know erased from 
represent representational emotion and you know but it's very specifically choreographed and there are these quite stylized actions which is all you know all happens in theater as well Mm -hmm. but it's very much um it's it's left so much um further open to interpretation and Amanda comes from really the Marina school. Actually, oh, I think literally. she studied with yeah. Yeah, Marina Bromovich. Completely. Um, but I'm sort of tied into the, like, I guess it's the old school of performance art now. But while she doesn't wear the black, all black of the performance artists mm. of the 80s and 90s, um, there is like links between her and sort of the Alistair McLenahan's and mm. a lot of big performance artists around in and around Belfast and Northern Ireland and Ireland. Mm. Um and actually now what's interesting is there's tons of performance art, interesting performance art happening in Northern Ireland that doesn't take on the all black um, outfit and that sort of is in the everyday or is online yeah. or is taking place in music venues or in mm. theatres. Yeah, we, um, we've we been in touch with a performance artist called uh, Laura O'Connor. Um, have you seen her before? She she actually does a lot of online stuff and, you know, she does stuff like set in, you know, the fitting room at Premark. Um, really kind of fascinating stuff. And then actually the other day we were doing a run through of the play at our um, venue, which is Riddle's Warehouse over by Musgrave Police Station. And as we were moving all of our stuff out and kind of heading back here to the office, we um, got a text from one of our actors who had left and she's like, be beyond or doing a monthly meeting in Custom House Square, get over live performance art. (laughs) (laughs) So there was, yeah, we walked around the corner and hung out with them for a while and watched and uh, yeah, beautiful, colorful, uh, really, you know, somebody balanced on, you know, one of the male performers was balanced on a bin wearing massive high heels. And, um, there was a woman who had a black piece of black, black fabric that was attached to her probably 11 month old child. And she was just using that cloth as the 11 year old child to guide or the 11 month old child to guide her around <laughs> just following the baby. It was amazing. And, uh, I, one of the other, like you sort of touched on it there. One of the other, uh, interesting avenues for performance art now is on mobile devices and social networks Mm. like people doing these sort of process-based projects on Instagram or via Snapchat Mm, completely I think I I seem to work Snapchat into the conversation every week now really I have almost zero experience with it well I mean the artists are using it now it's really it's really cool some queen students that I was in a choir with at St. George's um were showing me Snapchat (laughs) And I think I might knew one or two of them. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably. So, but now you're working on this play, George Osram's funeral. George um, Osborne's funeral. Gordon Osram. <laughs> it's funny. Cameron's it's, funeral. Uh, it? <laughs> George Osram's funeral. Um, you're sort of you. You must be immersed yourself in the whole world of performance art, and I guess you are saying, "Oh, look, I find this this artist, and like let let's let's look at this here, mm. and let's doing your research. You're sort of taking all this world into your world." Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. You do. I mean, I think always, always the thing that you wish you had more time to do was just like completely imbibe like everything that exists about this. And it's the time for R&D is so limited in a lot of ways. So you've got we have, you know, reams of stuff that we've been able to pull together and read kind of, but you're very much, I guess, when you're creating something and you, you have a very clear idea of what it is, you start to read quite 
selectively for your purpose. So there's a, a performance artist called um, uh, Brian O'Doherty who did uh, a piece. Uh, he he worked for 30 years as um, a persona, Patrick Arland. Um, and so he took on, so we kind of, part of this, uh, part of the play has to do with, uh, identity. Our, our, our artist Gordon is, um, fascinated with identity. So this, uh, we've, we've studied his piece, um, uh, the burial of Patrick Arland as well as name change. So he became Patrick Arland with name change in 1972 and then eventually, um, buried Patrick Arland. Um, and basically it was... It was a response to Bloody Sunday, um, 1972. He went, okay. I'm going to be Patrick Ireland until the British Army is out of out of Ireland. And so after the British Army finished their operation in Northern Ireland, he said, cool, wow. bury the guy, we're done. Yeah, but that was, you know, a long time to be performing as a different... Uh, but this performance art as activism is really important. Um, oh, I very. I mean, things like a new... Activism as well. Yeah, like the uh, laundry... Uh, down in Dublin uh, yeah. that Anu did was pretty amazing in terms of actually literally creating a palpable change in Irish politics. A, an apology for the Magdalene yeah. laundries. Yeah. So, this is not activism. Gordon Osram's funeral <laughs> is not activism. I can guarantee you that. Uh, but I can see you're absorbing lots of ideas from different artists into this work about a performance artist. What's also interesting is that tying in with this performance art Fluxus Data, you have a sound designer for this play or a composer, for want of a better word, um, a sound artist. Yeah. Marty Soundscape Byrne. Formerly known as Dr. Lilt, as I remember him. Dr. Um, <laughs> But Marty Byrne has been making amazing music um, in Northern Ireland for, whoa, I guess like the last half decade. or At least. Yeah, at least more probably. In my um, experience, half decade. If, if you measure by his beard, <laughs> it's, it's like measuring a tree's lifespan. Um, but he's, a, he's actually like a, a voice artist as well and not in the voiceover way of doing comedy sound effects, but he makes amazing sounds with his voice, uh, improvises, he performs with the Cube Ensemble at Queen's University and uh, he also does a lot of work for theatre and he's worked with you guys at Accidental for a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. Four shows, I think, actually. The last one I was at was The Kitchen, The Bedroom and The Grave and he had yes. done these really nice soundscapes that flooded in as you entered the theatre space and um, some of them are like, I guess, reacting to things at the time. And oh, yeah, they were actually they were. Um, yeah, they were actually a lot like some of them were uh, he'd sampled. Uh, I think it was like a Rick Steves travel guide to Italy or something like that. But it was it was a very like tangential connection to the rest of the play. So it was Marty's really he's great for adding layers of interpretability I guess like just things that are uh, you couldn't really work into the text of something Death, into the actual love, the action on stage violence influences sex life my life my art ladies and non-ladies you haven't seen me in a long time all sorts of things that's what he's bringing into the, the soundscape for Gordon Osram's funeral you came so here to see a retrospective special clip that he's most retrospectives yeah. are but mine will be. Yeah, go for it. What you will see tonight, no artist has done before. It will span the length of my career, 
but it will also be entirely new. And all of you will be part of it. Welcome, welcome to my funeral. Wow, loads to take in there. <laughs> Plenty, yeah. So that's uh, I guess I guess that acts as a little trailer of sorts for Gordon hey, Osar's funeral. But it sounds first... like that's what people are some, sort of going to hear when they arrive in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's Gordon's. I'm really Gordon's intrigued. Welcome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to coming to see this. Become a Gordonite, John. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Oh no, hashtag Team Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> We've not gone there. No, it's uh, actually hashtag and accidental Osram. Oh. If you need a hashtag. Yeah, Gordonites, they're um what you call Gordon's most diehard fans who are have have been awaiting his his reemergence. And the, they go to all the durational performances and stay for the whole thing. Six hours, man. Wait it out. Wait, how long does the play slash experience slash oh, installation the play, last? No, the play is not a durational experience. <laughs> the play is probably the, a collective sigh of relief from yeah. the listeners. <laughs> It's a durational <sighs> performance where people are going to pick through your hair with tweezers. No, it's not. Ah, it's going to, doors are at seven. Um, so it's the 14th to the 19th of March. Riddle's Warehouse, doors are at seven. Um, the bar is at seven, basically. Um, the gallery opens at 7.30. And the play, you'll be away by 9.30, 10, I would say. It's time to get back to the babysitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nothing nothing overwhelming we've we've beautifully condensed all the durational pieces into wall cards and images and all the ephemera that exists from these oh very clever yeah these olympian events um ephemera is such a great word for that isn't it it's actually yeah as the dramaturg a lot of what i'm doing is the environmental storytelling which Ooh. is yeah facts and uh feelings that you glean from your surroundings and so just to remind our listeners that that opens on March 14th at Belfast Riddles Warehouse. And then it's touring around Dublin, Armagh and Derry slash London Derry in April as yes. well. So if you yeah. want to catch it. And there's details online, accidentaltheatre.co.uk as well. Absolutely. But uh, Emily, let's get back to the topic at hand, which was our personal music origin suggested by you yeah. via Twitter to me. In response to an episode of The Jewel Case that you heard when I was asking listeners, do you have a theme for the, an upcoming episode of The Jewel Case? And you actually came back and gave me one. Get on um, it, listeners. Your Twitter handle is Accidental Emily. It is, yeah. Um, if people want to get in touch. Um, and I always have a little miniature laugh when I see that because it sounds like you're accidentally a person. Mm, yeah, Not I like that. Not that you're an accident. No, I mean, I think it kind of comes... <laughs> I wasn't. We've, all, we've already I wasn't. had one guest on the jail case say that they're an accident. So I my want... my little brother was the accident. I was like, <laughs> I'm the oldest, so I was 100 percent planned. Okay, just to say, sorry. So I'm going to go back to the, our, our our little sheet. And this is this is so great. You've you've printed out 
your musical origins of bands and where you have placed them geographically depending on your first or major experience with their music mm. and uh, this is great research and actually I'm going to take these I'm going to take these notes and when I upload this show as a podcast on the jewelcase.johndarcy.com and up on audio boom and iTunes and all the rest um I'll I'll actually put this in a little link there so people can read because we're not going to get through them all there's about 25 and you know the minute I sent it to you I went I just I I just kept going there was more there were more I could have done it's kind of weird well one that stands out to me is the pixies are from the Ulster Hall they are pixies are from Ulster Hall when did the pixies move to Belfast (laughs) I want to say around after they graduated from University of Massachusetts yeah they were like uh, we need a new bass player will go to no I'm just kidding they yeah I think it was about 2010 is that the year that that gig was there was a gig when it reopened you know there was the big Jan Carson would be a great person to ask right we'll get, we'll get John back in <laughs> go get back John. in time quickly so the the Ulster Hall was closed for renovations and when it reopened there was a big gig where multiple Northern Irish musicians bands like Jenna Fiasco and The Answer and I think Therapy, Therapy were at it too and they played one of their songs and then they also played a cover of a song that they heard at the Ulster Hall. Yeah. Yeah. So they're a band who for them was from the Ulster Hall, possibly. Um, the it was inter- yeah, it was called Do You Remember the First Time? So yes. actually it's you know, there's a lot of personal musical origin stories. <laughs> but yeah, I that is where that's where Pixies live for me completely. They um, I went with uh, Glenn Patterson to that event and he... Uh, Shout out Glenn, local author, Glenn Patterson. Yeah, not to like be too presumptuous and suggest another theme for you, but you should get Glenn on your show. Oh, so you're suggesting another show yeah. while you're here. Uh, I get Glenn Patterson, right? I'll, I'll get my people to talk to his people. Yeah, yeah. Are you his people? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's good people. He is good people. I exert very little control, but he is I good people. I think that's my favorite Americanism. Good people. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's I like it better than good bunch of lads, I think. Great that bunch has of lads, come on. Great bunch of lads. Pardon. Wow. Yeah, good people and great bunch of lads are probably the same thing, really, aren't they? <laughs> Actually, I did a... Um, just about Northern Irish translations, which I take time to get to. Um, I did a, a reading uh, the other night at uh, the Black Box for International Women's Day. Um, shout out International Women. Uh, and yeah, I called <laughs> the title of my my uh, performance was uh, How Long Are You Here For? Which for about 9.75 years of living in Northern Ireland, I thought meant how long have you been here for? And actually means, so when are you going home? (laughs) And I was like, so every single taxi driver I've had for a decade has asked me when I'm leaving. And someone was like, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, wow, that's harsh, actually. It's funny you say that. Well, you know, I would say that to people um, because you think they're on holiday. Yeah. Because you can't imagine why anyone would want to move. (laughs) Whereas in Edinburgh, people are like, what hotel are you staying at? Or are you here on holiday? But here it's like, how long are you here for? Which is so multiplicitously translatable yeah, in my head. Yeah, I don't head. know why. These are weird with verbs, I gotta say. Oh, in what way? That floor needs washed. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm surprised you didn't jump on our um, vile signs. Oh, but they're beautiful. Well, no, they're multiplicitous as well because I pronounce the words flower as in budding flower, <laughs> uh, car and shower, shower. Oh, yeah. All the same. This is true. That probably can be quite hard to work out as well whenever you come here and, and you don't know how long you're staying for. Dude, it's difficult. Actually, actually, the way you pronounce jewel. Jewel? Yeah. Sounds like a, a, a sword fighting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, gave, I gave my show the worst <laughs> name possible for someone with my prediction. The jewel case, but if I say it as jewel case, it sounds so forced. My favorite Northern Irish music experience, I cannot remember what band it was, but it was at the New Moon Showcase, I think, and when it was back when it was at the Crescent, back when it existed, um, and somebody, some band covered Downtown. By Petula Clark? Yeah, but in a Northern Irish accent. Dine time. Things will be great when you're... Dine time. Amazing. It was like, it started, and I think I had said to my boyfriend repeatedly, why do more Northern Irish bands not sing downtown, I wonder? (laughs) And he was like, one of them will someday. And it came on, and we were just like, eyes met across the dance floor, like, damn, it's happening. Whoa. Um, Yeah, more bands singing Northern Irish accents, please. Oh, I love it, yeah. Less of of those London accents and those New York accents and California Singing your band bridge accent, that's fine. Do it. Seriously, the most awkward thing I that ever happened to me, it really wasn't, I thought it was at the time, was this guy in uh, Dublin. He was from Dublin, beautiful Dublin accent. And he started to sing and he was like somewhere out of Nashville. And I felt like he was taking the piss out of me because like I'm from the South and he's singing like this and I'm going, it's, it was like somebody was like trying to imitate people I grew up with it was just weird yeah what does that feel like from from your perspective um because I don't know anyone from a different country who sings in a northern Irish accent (laughs) (laughs) we try we just can't do it it's embarrassing it's the you know (laughs) I am very impressed when I hear Americans um do really good northern Irish accents and I can't think off the top of my head who's done one um, but occasionally you get one and Peter Kay does a really good one but that's because his mum's like northern Irish or something I can say okay you can judge it Hi, Nye, Brian Kai. Wow, we need, a vo- right? we need to get that as a vox pop. Apologies, y'all. So if you're going to try and get the Northern accent, you just have to get the... <laughs> 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 situation. <laughs> situation. I'm sorry. No, I usually ruin all my attempts at Northern Irish accents by saying y'all at the end. Oh, yeah. I'm like, whatever, y'all. <laughs> situation, y'all. <laughs> I do know what that is. You know, with, well, I do know what it is. It's because people imitate their heroes and uh, that's why people sing in the accents yeah. of other places because their idols who release records are from those other places. Yeah. And when you listen to, if you're playing pop punk music, you sing like you're from San Diego. And if you uh, are in a punk band, maybe you sing like you're from London or New York. Uh, and if you're country, then you put on that southern accent. Oh, so people, I, I totally people, get why it works. Yeah, and people get really imitative in their prose cadences as well. I mean, your sentence length because you love William Faulkner. Imitation <laughs> is the sincerest form of flattery. It is. It is. We got sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> we got sidetracked because you mentioned something there uh, just in passing, and uh, I totally forgot to bring it up. I buried the lead. 
Ooh. It's International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day to you, John. And uh, there was loads of great events happening in the OEA Music Centre as part of women's work. And I'm sure there's mm. loads of great events happening around Northern Ireland today to celebrate International Women's Day. But you're probably not at them because you're listening to the Jewel Case on <laughs> Lisburn's 98 FM, Bangor FM or FM 105 and Downpatrick. Or maybe you're listening again on iTunes or on the Android Podcast Network or on my website, Thank wow. you for listening. Uh, you're with me, John Darcy. For the rest of the hour, um, we've got a little bit more to talk about with our guest tonight, Emily Dedekis. Dedekis or Dedakis? Dedekis. Dedekis. I, I kind of accept anything. <laughs> My, if I had a Northern Irish pseudonym, it would be Emma Dukakis. Because <laughs> like Emma is way more popular name and Dukakis is like the only Greek name that people know. Dervla Doherty is actually the, the translation of your name, I think. Is it? Irish, Derf- yeah. <laughs> It's Dervla Emily. No. <laughs> oh, for a second I was like... <laughs> so we were, we were talking about Glenn Patterson and the Pixies. So you're there watching Neil Hannon bash out Gigantic and Glenn's nowhere to be seen. Oh, he went off to get drinks and... So the biggest Pixies fan in the room, maybe? Oh, maybe, maybe. We, we should give him biggest Pixies fan, I think. And uh, I certainly wasn't. I barely, I, I kind of recognized the song, but it was just Neil Hannon, solo grand piano, playing gigantic, and it was heart-stopping. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, and Glenn rocks up with the two beers, hands one to me, and says, oh, did I miss anything? You kind of did. <laughs> I said no. Later I sent him a look on YouTube. I was like, sorry, I lied. <laughs> well, happened. instead of me trolling around, What noise is that? It's my trick noise. No. Oh, this is good. Stop it. Do you need that for play? If we ever do, you can (laughs) definitely do it. Wow. Thanks, Emily, for suggesting this theme. Um, You're welcome. It's been really interesting to talk about. I, I can't believe at the start when you first suggested it via Twitter that I didn't have a clue what you were talking about this idea of transplanting an artist notionally to a different geographic location than they actually come from because of your musical experience listening to them at said location but I sort of get it now yeah it's a thing it is and if any of our listeners feel that thing too whatever that thing is because we don't have a name for it if you we feel need. that thing you need to get in touch with me and Emily you can get in touch with Emily Dudekas from Accidental Theatre at Accidental Emily on Twitter please uh, tell me what this is called it's please, gotta have a name please let's work let's work out a name for this sensation because we've got the schadenfreude and we've got deja vu and jamais vu and all these cool words for weird sensations what do we call this one man I mean there's a German word for a face in need of in bad need of a fist <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. If there's a word for that. So the, so the word for... The act of c- 
conceptually transporting a musician or band to an alternate location of origin. What about audio translocum? Ooh, okay. What about um, like sonic geoflex? Ooh, sonic geoflex. I don't know if I buy that as a single word. Mm, no, that's too much of a... <laughs> I think that's like that's four prefixes talk, put together. Right? <laughs> Sorry. That's purple cow territory. Um, <laughs> what about... Uh, Museo-mutational geography. Geo-musical mutation. Geo-muse... No. Geo-muso-translocation. Got it. Geomuso translocation, that's it. If you can best it, please tweet us immediately. <laughs> if, if you have any other suggestions, please get in touch at Accidental Emily or at underscore John Darcy or at us both, so we're both in on this. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, I don't know what. <laughs> okay, 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 right. This is the last one. Okay. On your super list. Yeah. Well, actually, it's two for one. It is. Both centred sort of around the same city or city, same town. And uh, it's one of our three towns that we're broadcasting on, on our community radio stations, Downpatrick. Yeah. So you've actually taken our local lads, Ash, transplanted them from Downpatrick to Oban, Scotland. They are definitely from Oban. They're from a portion of uh, the Cliff Rock outside of Oban. And also, I kind of Um, burn baby burn specifically I also I also have um, Oban related um, memories of the sweetness of death by the Obsidian Knife, which is one of the cheesier song titles, but also the most amazing. That's like their World of Warcraft song title. I've by always Ash. Thought. Yeah, have you never heard that song? I don't know that song. What album's it on? It's Free All Angels, like B side, extended uh, European. Wow, so you're an Ash diehard, are you? My my ex boyfriend when I lived in Scotland super oh, got wow. me incredibly into Ash. Ooh, and to the point that when um, I moved into a new place in North Belfast, we needed some secondhand furniture, and we bought a three piece suite off of Tim Wheeler's brother. There you go. It's a small world in Northern Ireland, isn't it? And it's tiny. And I had to I had to write to my ex and be like, "Guess what I'm sitting on currently." And he a, was a sofa that probably Tim Wheeler has sat on. Yeah. <laughs> the the exact response was, "Is Tim's bum print in evidence?" How would you know? I really <laughs> how would you know which one was his? Die hard, mate. Die hard. <laughs> the, oh, the one that has like a really spiky poke in it from that flying V when he's playing it sitting down, right? <laughs> <laughs> and burn marks because remember he had a fire coming out of the flying V at one stage. I dang is that when they were real life teenagers and they basically were just like set no the this was um, this was around 
probably just post Burn Baby Burn Free All the Angels when they were at the height of their fame. Probably when they were released their greatest hits album, Intergalactic Sonic Sevens, and they were playing like Reading and Leeds Festival in Glastonbury, and he had like his pack strapped onto the back of his gold flying V. Like the Rocketeer, but in and the front. He, he would hold it up and fire would come out of it. It was so cool. That boy knows theater. Dang. Yeah, dramaturg. I would love to meet Tim Wheeler. Just saying. I'll try and get him for the jail case, and then a couple of weeks later, will I try and do like a retrospective where I get all of the guests back for one party? Amazing party episode. Absolutely amazing. Okay, we'll set that up. Okay, that's awesome. I did once actually tell Glenn Patterson that I wanted to meet Roddy Doyle and. You met Roddy Doyle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't know where that Sorry, story was going. Sorry, that out. It's completely irrelevant in every way. It's just, I need to stop telling people that I want to meet people because it happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In like the worst way possible. So, so you associate Ash and Burn Baby Burn with this walk in, um, in Scotland. Yeah. But you've moved Ash out of Downpatrick. Ash has nothing to do with Downpatrick. That's a myth. So who actually lives in Time Patrick? Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> okay, explain. Um, so I'm running uh I'm running a performance pilot project in Down Patrick. Okay, um, and what's that involved? It's uh, a few things actually. I'm working with a lot of playwrights. Um we ran a playwrights boot camp down there. We're doing some script writing classes in May and June. Um and some other stuff. And I was down there and I was at Denver's. And I ended up talking to these dudes and two of them were French. And I was like, y'all live in Downpatrick. Interesting. Why did you move here? And Oh, you didn't ask them how long you're here for? (laughs) (laughs) No, because I'm polite. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, uh, I said, how did you end up in Downpatrick? And they, uh, one of the guys is um, professional guitar builder and fabricator. Yes. There's a word for it. Thank you. Um, for Loudon guitars and, yeah. you know, turned down massive high flying alternative job in Canada and decided to move to Downpatrick instead. And I was like, I super don't believe you that there are amazing guitars built in Downpatrick. And he goes, do you want to see my, I have a personal guitar workshop as well. And I was like, ah, oh, no, I'm exhausted. It's one in the morning. Don't be silly. And he's like, oh, it's four doors down. Because he lives four hours down from Denver's, apparently. This is terrible. I can't put that on the radio. <laughs> no, is that up the street or down the street? <laughs> I can't tell you. Uh, maybe it's five doors down. Couldn't tell you. Um, but he, yeah, like, so he showed me in the middle of the night. I'm all of a sudden walking up or down the street. I can't, I can't tell you which. And suddenly I'm in this basement, elaborate, amazing professional guitar workshop. Um, and we're listening to Jimi Hendrix and we're, you know, sitting about chatting guitars. This is what happens when you talk to strangers. So Jimi actually has been in Downpatrick the whole time. Mm -hmm. And and how little we knew. Yep. Well, what song? Hey Joe. And the show with Hey Joe. Emily, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure hearing your musical origin stories. And uh, thank you for believing me that they're all true. <laughs> I do believe now that all these artists live in their new habitats, mm-hmm. according to your musical memory. If anyone is listening and experiences this phenomena as Emily does, please get in touch. Uh, you can get me at underscore John Darcy on Twitter, or you can visit the jewelcase.johndarcy.com. 
www.thinkingfromwithin.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next Tuesday with another special guest. And happy International Women's Day. So thanks, Emily. Do you want to introduce the last song? I would. This is Jimi Hendrix, proud native of Downpatrick, playing Hey Joe. Night-night. Night-night.